0: All right. Good morning. Good morning. We're gonna go ahead and get started. Uh, the Lord be with you. And with spirit. Let us pray, Heavenly Father. We, uh, man, I just give you, I, I just give you, um, great thanks for this day, for this season, uh, for this church, for these friends. We pray, Lord, for your mercy and your grace to uh, be with us. We ask this. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, hey, um, I am so glad that you're here. This is, uh, I, I'll be in the dean's class uh, sort of being interviewed by Andrew uh, on November 8th. Uh, and so I guess if you count that, this isn't my last official class. But if you don't count that, this is my last class here at, at the Advent. And, and uh, I was just trying to think, like I don't want this to be a big teary goodbye. I want you all to cry on November 8th, but I don't want you to cry today. Um, <laughs> And and I um, don't want to cry today um, either. Uh, you know, I've heard so many um, nice things in the last month, and those are really gratifying. But I want to know. I want you to know that you, and I speak. When I speak to you, I speak to you on behalf of of this church. You've had a profound uh, impact on me and on my family uh, as well. Uh, I am. I would say, and I, I think Amy would say. Uh, and maybe you would say, it. I'm not the same person, I'm not the same priest, I'm not the same preacher uh, that I was five and a half years ago when I got here. Um, it, it has um, it's just been such a, a privilege uh, to serve in, in this place. I've said it before that one of my very favorite things about the Advent architecturally is that I have the privilege of, of being either as the celebrant or as the, as the prayer the intercessor, to sit by the lectern and listen to sermons, look with this cross these, all these, these cross-centered sermons with the cross, the stained glass window right behind. And that has just always been so important, and so special uh, to me. Um, and, and just it has really, I think been a picture of, of this place and um, for me. It's just such a a privilege to serve here and walk with so many uh, folks. And so, um, when Gil and I were talking about what would I teach on what would I say in this last uh, class, I what I wanted to say is is not. I mean, I wanted to kind of say what I'm going to do there. How in what ways am I taking you with me? Uh, You know, how am I? What have I learned that will that I will be working to make an integral part of? This and so fact versus fiction. I, I, I I'll look at some sort of things that uh, that uh, might be intuitive, but aren't aren't true, versus what's actually true. Um, trying to play on the thought I'd love to take you with me. I would love to just put you on the truck and take you all with me. Um, but so so that's I guess fiction. But um, but the fact is is that you you in a very real sense you're all coming and um, and I I do hope you'll visit. But but you'll be there. Uh, In my preaching, in my teaching, in my heart. Um, So I just want to look at a few things, and and I want this to be interactive. I want you to, you know, comment on um, on the on the the fictions that I'm talking about and the and the facts that I'm talking about, and just love for this just be a sort of interactive thing. Fiction number one: one, uh, My identity. And Andrew talked a lot about this in the sermon. My identity is defined by what I do, experience, or accomplish. Uh, I, l- I listened uh, a month or so ago to a, a sermon by Paul Walker. Uh, Mockingbird has a-, a podcast called The Mocking Pulpit. And, um, and you can go on- online to Mockingbird, uh, I guess is what it is, dot com, or I'm sure Christchurch uh, Charlottesville is their website. The sermon is called My Wits Begin to Turn. It is re- honestly one of the finest sermons I've heard in quite a long time. Uh, my, wit? my Wits. It's a line from King Lear. And uh, I never could have given that sermon, um, but um, but it was it was remarkable. But he he starts uh, by referring to the answer machine messages in the '80s. Do you remember something that you could buy, you like go on and pay 1995 and you get this cassette to put in your answer machine? You wait for the beep, you know, all these things. And um, there's one that says uh, uh, after the beep, it says something in like this: after the beep, state who you are. And what you want. And before you answer that too quickly, know that people have spent their entire lives trying to answer those questions. <laughs> just, and that was the beginning of the sermon. And then, of course, he just masterfully wrapped that back in with Nebuchadnezzar and King Lear. And it was, it was great. So go listen to it. Um, who are you and what do you do? I mean that, and so this, this mindset, it's so natural. To say that my identity and who I am is tied to what I do, what I accomplish, what I experience. And I would say that is a mindset that translates seamlessly into the Christian faith. And unless you consciously come against it, that without even noticing it, uh, we can wrap our identity in what we do, what we experience, what we accomplish as Christians, um, I don't think that means we're not saved, but I think it leaves us far short of where we could be, um, because if I if if I do, and this was certainly my my mindset when I came into into faith and for years uh, into my faith, really honestly until I met Frank Limehouse uh, at my summer internship in Beaufort, South Carolina when I was in seminary. Um, but if I do what I'm supposed to do, especially if it's God who told me to do it, then I can define myself as a doer, and therefore I can define myself as good, especially in opposition to those who don't, and therefore aren't as good. And now I'm not saying this... I haven't gotten to the fact yet, so this is all fiction still. But just to say that the the normal secular mindset that I'm defined by what I do and accomplish fits perfectly without if we if we don't challenge it it fits perfectly into the Christian or sort of maybe pseudo Christian worldview that that I, I am supposed to do a certain thing if if Christianity really is about what we do then all religions really are just uh, the same um, and and in fact I had uh, l- I had Written in my notes, look at your Facebook friends. So uh, Andrew, if you were uh, if you were in the sermon or in the service at nine o'clock, he talked a lot about Facebook. If your your Christian friends versus your secular friends, the posts look remarkably the same. uh, Remarkably the same. Here's what I did. Here's what I uh, my kids look like. Here's their Halloween costumes. Here's my closet. It all looks very very uh, nice. Martin Luther said, "Religion is the default of the human heart." And and if that and that's what we call around here, the law. Right. Here's what you are to do. Now, the law is good. The law is good. It defines a good life, describes a good life. It gives us order in our life. Um, The thing is, is identity. If we if we define ourselves by what we do, what we experience, what we accomplish, identity leaks or drifts as circumstances change. Uh, we change our vocation. We change our location. That's what we're about to do. If I identify myself as an Advent clergy, I'm, a, I'm in big trouble coming up in just a little while. Um, if I, um, if our, uh, our, our circumstances change, people, relationships change, people coming in and out of our lives, our interests change. Before seminary, I was rabidly into golf. I was a terrible golfer. I was spending way too much of our money to get way too mad uh, to play really bad golf. Uh, but I, um, I was really into it, and then um, I've been really into things like coffee, and I've been, and then for a while here while I was in Birmingham, really into running, which actually was sort of healthy. Um, but I, um, but then you know your competency, your interests change, and like I got hurt, so then I couldn't run, and then so I got into in other things, or um, you know, and so you know, and then you, you know you're not as good at things, or or. Or you're better at things. Your competencies change. Um, you know, Especially if your competency is tied to physical traits like athleticism or looks or something like that. Those things wane if our identity is tied in there. Um, identity leaks or identity drifts. Successes and failures develop in our circumstances. And, and so all of these things is the law because it realizes we, we don't measure up uh, and uh, our, our self-understanding, our identity, comes becomes into crisis. Um, and so, all of this to say, that as um, this natural, normal, fallen mindset, which is pervasive throughout the church, is that we are defined by what we do, what we accomplish. Um, and yet, the fact is, and the one I have just—what a privilege to be in a church that I hear it every week, and not just—and gosh, maybe maybe multiple times a week—that Jesus' death and resurrection seals my identity as a son of God or a child of God it's sealed you know and, and it doesn't change it doesn't leak that doesn't uh it, it is so wonderful that I, I cannot I didn't make myself a son of God he chose me by his grace and that has its problems because we were like oh what about the people who didn't who aren't sons or daughters of God and we can talk about that we can get there but but the fact is if I can't do anything to make myself a son of God then I can't do anything to unmake myself a son of God. So my identity is set in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Uh, Romans 1.16 For I am not ashamed of the gospel for it, the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And I wrap myself up. I mean, I, now my ability to wrap myself up in the gospel changes, and that's called repentance when we come back to that. And that's a daily thing as well um but i this the gospel is the power of salvation to everyone who believes romans 10 4 for christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes the end of the law not just the law of god but the law of cool the law of accomplishment the law of neighborhood whatever it is christ is the end of that because his finished work trumps it all and no matter what my circumstances are relationships vocation location Christ is all in all and that doesn't change and it can't change but what that what happens there is that our identity is rooted in something that is unchanging and and it's one point in history on the cross the re- death and resurrection and um and that and Jesus said, it is finished. And so, so the Gospel frees us to be honest. Um, we can call a thing uh, what it is. I don't have to worry about it. Now, if I say this, is it going to mess up my identity? Because Is it going to mess up these relationships? I have the freedom to speak honestly into relationships and be, rather than worrying about myself. Uh, I Now, I have to speak the truth in love. I need to be a Christian in the midst of that. Um, but it frees me to be honest. It frees me to be courageous because my identity isn't tapped into risk. Um, Matthew 10, 27, 28, What I tell you in the dark, say in the light what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops and do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear who, him can, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Which is a sort of negative way to say focus on the Lord given in Christ Fear Him, and the, if your identity is rooted in the gospel, you can be free and honest and courageous. And actually, here's the secret you can do and accomplish and experience more than you ever asked and imagined. It doesn't change who you are, but it's a fuller and richer uh, life. Um, so it, un, the gospel unfettered unfetters us to do and experience all that God has for us, and to accomplish, I think, for Him. And, and But to do all that stuff with a light heart, with a joy, with an exuberance, with a, a freedom to move about, and all for God's glory. So identity is one of the very first and one of the most important things that I'll be taking uh, with me. What a, a privilege uh, to serve in a place committed to the gospel. And one of my great hopes is to take that uh, to Church of Our Savior in Jacksonville. Uh, any any thoughts you wanna uh, push back on not push back or I mean maybe push back or or comment on how that how you see that in this church or how that message has has ministered to you in your life or you've seen that work out? Anybody? Thumbs up at least. You, you, you right, yeah, you got it? Yeah? Well it seems like you always have to keep coming back Right. Mm -hmm. it is so easy and that's why i say like uh it's so easy to let your identity drift and yet um when your identity is rooted to christ and we find that we're putting our identity in our own accomplishments we can come back to christ as this the anchor of our soul and that coming back is is repentance martin luther also said that all of life is repentance right and so um, so we normally, in a secular mindset, which is based on what we do and accomplish, repentance is awful because it says you failed. The gospel says you're always going to fail. You know, like, that's not the point. The point isn't that your identity isn't rooted in not failing. And so let's just come, come back to your father. Come back to your father. And Repentance is a joyful thing. And the fruit of repentance is joy. So, um, so that, it's, all, it's all tied in there uh, together. Anything else? Okay, so that's fiction uh, number one. Uh, fiction number two: churches must be cool to be relevant. That's a, that's that's a challenge. That's a challenge to a, a lot of folks. And I, I want to say the outset that I thank God for mega churches, for contemporary churches, for anybody who gets a ton of people in the door to hear about Jesus. I thank God for that. Like I'm not at all when I say church, the the fiction is that churches uh, have to be cool to be to be relevant. Doesn't mean they can't be cool or shouldn't be cool to be relevant. Cool churches all the time uh, are great, but cool doesn't justify sinners. You know, cool cool doesn't. Uh, and I'm convinced that the decline of the mainline denomination, uh, not just Episcopal Church, but every well, all of them are declining, and it's not our inability to be cool or relevant, which which they're not. <laughs> Uh, but and but that's the, all their energy is going into being relevant and cool. The decline is our inability to stay faithful to the Word of God. And I was sort of giggling to myself. I was outlining all the ways that the Advent is totally uncool. Um, right? Dry cleaning. Okay. Just in this room right now, represented it, It's a couple hundred dollars worth of dry cleaning. Um, at least uh, qu- the choir. now. For a few nerds, the, the choir may be very cool, but but for the for the most part, here's a bunch of people singing highbrow sort of classical. It's beautiful, but it's it's highbrow music, and um and it's it's not edgy. It's not what you're gonna turn on the radio. Um, we have lots of books. Now that's changing a little bit. I'd love to know what you think about the uh, bulletin as it's sort of evolving. But but lots of books to to juggle, and books are totally uncool. Um, write one old language, right? Um, lots of words. We, I mean, we're not known for our economy of words. All right. Um, very uncool vestments. Like you don't see people walking down the road in vestments, you know, that's not, that's not cool at all. And our pulpit, uh, is, I mean, it's is sort of, is gorgeous, but it's not, it's not the way people do things. And, and the church in some ways is, uh, the church globally, uh, universally is bent on making us look like the rest of the world to show them that we're not really so different after all which actually waters undermines the whole message Uh, and and despite of the fact that the advent is totally uncool and in all those ways the advent is vibrant it's growing it has incredibly excited and mature christians i i don't Know if you realize, maybe you do, but, but I, I think largely people at the Advent don't realize how different, how special and unique the, the, um, the Advent is, not just in the Episcopal Church, but in the mainline denominational Western Church. It is an incredibly specific, it, to think that I could invite, I mean, I bet there's 300 or 500 people at the Advent that I could invite to teach a Bible study or to give a talk on the Scripture at any given moment. Some people might freak out a little bit, and are like, I need to prepare, prepare. I'm not sure if I'm qualified. but And we'll talk about that in a, in a minute as, as well. But um, just in, incredibly excited and mature Christians over and over again uh, at the Advent. The Advent is entrepreneurial and ingenuitive. Word didn't like the word ingenuitive. I don't know if it's a real word or not, but we use a lot of ingenuity. And, um, and I just... It is so exciting to be part of something that's creative. I um, think and Andrew brings a lot of, of, of that as well as as the dean, but there's, but it's in all sorts of pockets of um, uh, of laity and uh, small groups going out and doing ministry. And the uh, I mean, one of my, I've been the canon for Christian education, which is a pretty fun thing because I get a lot of credit for um, for this incredible education program. And really, all I do is make sure that this incredible staff has what they need, I just turn them loose. Like, do you, you have the budget you need? you have the tools you need, the resources? you have the time you need? That's all I need to do because they, I just turn them loose. They're all lay people. And, and that is uh, amazing to me. So, um, the problems that we have at Advent, and there are a few problems at Advent, but they're almost all associated with problems resulting from growth rather than problems associated with decline, Lack of resources. Lack of interest. Territorialism. Lots of those problems in other places. But the gospel is so thick, so deep, so rooted in this place. You know, it's been 21 years since Paul Zoll became the dean here. And and I would say, and I've heard about Larry Gibson, especially in the second half of Larry Gibson's tenure as well. So the gospel, the preaching of the Gospel is long here. Generations now. And, and so we are really seeing the, the fruit of, of that in so many ways. Hebrews 4.12 says, The Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Word of God. Pierces uh, the heart. I think I actually skipped over to actually. I don't think I actually said the, what the fact is. The fact, so the fact, the fiction is churches must be cool to be relevant. The fact is the word of God does the work of God. The word of God does the work of God, and and the word of God has been preached here, and so. Well, I mean, rock bands are fine. You know, I love, I love, I like rock bands. Uh, it may be attractive. Here, anyway, clean liturgy frames the preaching of the gospel and makes it accessible. And before I went to Trustville, I um, I wondered about what we always said was the case, that is, that, that the gospel creates vibrancy. Um, we're committed to the word through the lens of the cross. And, and I would uh, wonder about what we said created that vibrancy, which was, I, I messed that sentence up. Let me start over. I wondered whether what we always said created vibrancy, which is the Word of God read through the lens of the cross, uh, would in fact create vibrancy. Because I have seen, uh, I wondered if if actually the Advent is just a special place, or if we take it out of this place and put it somewhere else, will it do its work? You see what I'm saying? I, I haven't said that very well at all. But I'm wondering if, if um, the gospel really does what we always said the gospel did, or if it's just a great place that happens to preach the gospel. And in one year, like, in trustful, and they're sad. Y'all pray for them. They really, they're sad. Um, but their, their eyes are different. Like, there's just a light in their, in their hearts that's coming out. Why? It's not because they've had a good preacher. It's because they've had the Word of God preached to them. The Word of God does the work of God. And, and they are, as far as I can tell, I mean they are committed to waiting on the Lord for Him to provide somebody who's going to preach the Word of God. So uh, that is an exciting, exciting thing. The Bible... Uh, and so what I want to do is, I, now I've seen it work in Trustville, and I want to take it to Jacksonville. Now, they have good bones. They've got a lot of things going on. But I'm excited to begin to preach and actually to be in a place where... Where I have more than a year, you know, um, and build another one. You know, I'm looking forward to building another one. We are. I was telling um, uh, Al and Jennifer before that uh, we're having this meeting, in a, and Andrew's referenced it a couple times. This meeting of clergy from around the country, like-minded um, clergy within the Episcopal Church, to talk about um, to talk about the the uh, sort of the, the fact that there's not a lot of gospel folks coming behind us. And what do we do about that? And how do we raise folks up? And, and I'm really excited about it. And I really wanted to focus, function like a diocese. You know, like I really, I'm not creating a movement or anything, but I want. I, I'm excited about the network that we have. And I'm excited to have another outpost there in Jacksonville. And if I got somebody coming up, but I can't employ them, I can send them up here, or vice versa. And and we can just really work together on that. So I'm really, really excited uh, about that. Um, the Bible. And the Word of God does the work of God. The Bible is trustworthy. The Christian loves the Bible. Um, you wouldn't believe how many professing Christians don't love the Bible, don't trust it, have been taught by their clergy that it's not trustworthy or that it's a good starting point, but, but then we have lots of other things that we can use as well. But the Christian trusts the Bible, wrestles with the Bible, and ultimately just delights in submitting to it, even when it's hard. And especially... When it's hard, um, when it doesn't say what we want it to say, so uh, we that we don't we don't just write it off and say, well, it's outdated. They didn't understand, you know, my circumstance. God does. So, um, so first is uh, my first fiction was that um, my identity is defined by what I do. But uh, the fact is that Jesus' death and resurrection seals my identity. And the second fiction was that churches have to be cool to be relevant, And the um, but the fact is the Word of God does the work of God. Not how cool we are. Fiction number three. Oh, uh, Do I need to push... Any, anybody? Comments? Okay, I'm going to keep going. Yeah, go ahead, Al. Just thinking, mm-hmm. um, at least for me, after being here so long, when I go visit other churches, um, I, I tend to be somewhat judgmental. And, and I wish I wasn't. Well, that's so the fruit I, of the gospel. I, I right, judge, judgmental. Yeah. You just have to like... Work for me. Well, there, maybe I, I'm not just saying you're not judgmental because I know you're capable. But the um, the um, the the there's a difference between being judgmental and being choosy. You know, like I mean, we have to use our judgment. You know, and and, you, and I'm glad that you can recognize. You might have a heart for them. You might be like you might be judgmental, but you might also say, oh, the preacher's almost there." You know, he's 85% there, or he's 90%. Anyway, but you, but you, you at, at the at the very end, you know, you could preach. You could finish it. And there's so many people in this church who could finish this, those sermons uh, and say, you know, but you can't do it. Jesus has done it for us. You know, like that's, if you just finish the sermon that way, that'd be great. Yeah. Do you feel like that, uh, it was a very real unique opportunity you had? You were uh, sent by the Advent to serve the church and trustful. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you had unique learning opportunities there to further your Knowledge of the gospel and everything, and uh, I know that you've served the people well because I know a number of people out there. Mm-hmm. I've heard some very good, excellent comments mm-hmm. on your service, and they're going to miss you out there. Well, I would say that I it, it the way that I learned the gospel out in my time in Trustful, it gave me it just in, continued to increase my confidence in in the gospel. You know, to just say here's how you here's what you should do as a Christian to live your life. Amen. A few people get fired up about that, and then they'll not be able to live up to it, and the rest will feel sorry at the beginning. But but if I say Jesus has done it all, then that creates this in, a, in an unintuitive way creates this this um, rooted faith that that is sustained. So, sure. so yes. Speak. What Al mm-hmm. said, though, probably a, a more appropriate word. What he's mm-hmm. doing is yeah. discernment. And here's what uh, Paul says in, in Philippians one. And it is my prayer that your that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled through the righteousness that comes through
1: Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm.
0: That's what he's talking about. Yeah, that's right. right but then it's like where you go with it. Yeah. <laughs> We're sure you're still judgmental, but but that's okay. Discerning is yeah, is good. You know, a, a on, on that, yeah. You? thing that anyone could ever tell you is that was a great circle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know, I've changed my mind on that since then. Yeah. You've moved off that. Yeah. Well I'm I am delighted to hear that, that parishioners can discern if they've been given the gospel or not. Because there's a lot of people who will say, I mean, who say they'll we'll come into somewhere and we'll preach and I'm like, man, that was great you new know, helps preach a great sermon and then i'll name somebody who i know didn't give the gospel which i'm not going to say right now but i um but i they you might like it takes a while it takes a while to say we well, i like that but i also like this over here it takes a while to to for the spirit to work that discernment so that we realize why we like this is actually superior to this because this leaves us hungry and this leaves us full so yeah amy yeah. To sit beside me and say, "Oh gosh, you know," if they just, if they, you know, I But it's just that discernment. I'm not busting my face, but um, but that discernment of, uh, you know, it's all. It you when you keep, when you know the truth, it's like, oh, you just want them to do it. But also, I think with that is a, uh, you know, like we're quick to say, you know we used to think the same thing. Like, they just kind of learned, you know, they kind of mm-hmm. taught mm-hmm. that, you know, that, that that's not all there is, you know. So there's that there's that discernment, but also that heart to, you know, they just haven't heard it. They haven't, you know, like we've lived our, most of our lives as Christians, and even in seminary, not mm-hmm. really know, You know, not really. Oh, yeah, no, it's not, yeah, it's not this, sort of, oh, they're stupid, you know, I mean, it's like, oh, it's they're sinners, you know, like, and we, like we used to be, no, um, yeah, um, so, right, <laughs> all right, fiction number three, and if I don't get through them all, that's, it's really no big deal, um, fiction number three, faith is a Sunday thing, or a morning time thing, maybe even a Wednesday night thing, or an eternal thing, but it doesn't have much to do with my daily work and family. I had a friend at uh, my previous parish, uh, St. John's. His name was Perry, great friend. And he um, came to a really vibrant faith in Christ after a long period of, of being a Christian. And he said that, I, I always thought that salvation was... I mean, God's point was to get you through the door. And say, "And he said, alright, great, I'll see you in 80 years. Like, you know, that, like he, he, he came in... Through the narrow gate, or whatever he could, he could you know, he, say his sword drills and everything. But he, um, but the, um, the, the point he didn't understand, and and frankly didn't believe that there was much, of anything other than you had to show up and you should probably give some money to the church, because that was what good people did. But, um, salvation meant heaven, and it was basically a box to be checked. You know, in your life, I'm saved and I got a job and I got married. And, you know, it's just it's just it's just part of your life. Sometimes the gospel is confusing because if you are saved by grace and not by works, then what are you supposed to do? Right. What do I do? What and in fact, if, if I'm saved by grace. Not by works, what does it matter what I do? Right, and if we don't know the answer to that, we we'll probably don't give it much thought. don't we'll spend much time worrying about it. We just live our life according to our wits, and hope that God picks us up again in eighty years, right? So um other times I think the gospel doesn't seem expedient. Uh, if I uh give grace, then I might not get paid, right. Or if I give grace, my kids might think I'm a doormat, young or old, right? If I give grace, then my wife or my husband might not respond the way that I think they ought to. And if they would just get it, then my life would be better, right? So um, so grace doesn't feel expedient, and so we've kind of put it aside and work on other other things. So um, we don't often... we. It, I can remember a guy... At Saint John's, not not Perry, but another guy who said, "I don't think anybody believes in Jesus more than I do." But I mean, so he, re- you know, what he's trying to say is, I really believe it. But the fact that my life doesn't reflect those values that you might think doesn't shouldn't let you know as a priest that that I don't believe it. So like he, it didn't. His faith didn't have feet. You know, it wasn't it wasn't producing any fruit in his life so he believed that Jesus was the son of god he believed sort of intellectually it's hard to believe I, you know that that a death on a cross on another continent 2000 years ago had some sort of cleansing or clarifying uh, um, presence in his own life but it, it he had he saw no real he, he spotty in church he didn't see re, really much reason to do anything with that because god had done it all so that's the fiction. Faith doesn't have any intersection with my work in life. And I've seen so much, the fact that our, li- our whole life, this is at the Advent, I've seen so much, not perfectly in every person by any means, but, but I've learned and seen such fruit. Our faith, I mean, our, li- our whole life is our Christian life. Your whole life is your Christian life. Uh, and our devotional life is the fuel for everything that God has called us to. So how we stay connected to God affects not just what God does for us in 80 years, but your finances and the decisions you make, the way that you treat your family, the way that you apologize after you treat them in a way that you shouldn't have treated them before, the way that you conduct yourself in business. Uh, It it affects everything. Um, If the Gospel diagnosis if the gospel diagnoses the presence of sin in every aspect of our life, and if the gospel then declares the forgiveness of sin, then the gospel must have practical implications for every aspect of our life. If you're sinful in every aspect of your life, and you are, right? And you've been forgiven all of it because of the gospel, then the gospel must have some practical outworkings for the places you've been forgiven. Matthew 10:29. Uh, so this is actually right after the shout-out from the rooftops. Jesus says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Are not And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Fear not, you are of much more value than many sparrows. Every small detail counts with God. Every small detail of our lives counts with God. You, there is nothing too small to bother Him with or too great for Him to accomplish uh, and to handle. The constant... And consistent preaching of the gospel and teaching of the gospel reminds us, instructs us, and demonstrates to us that the gospel is much richer than a single salvation event, but it's a whole life, top to bottom, beginning to end, event, process, and declaration. The gospel never ceases to be a declaration. Uh, Is it Zephaniah's? Is the banner over me is love? The, um, the Grace covers our whole life. And therefore, um, it can and may cover how we live our whole lives. There is not a, an addiction. There's not a problem. There's not an illness. There's not a um, relationship that cannot be informed and prayed over uh, and blessed by God and the Holy Spirit. So whatever you're dealing with, I have no promises for how those things are going to end up, except that God is so magnificent that even the things that end up poorly somehow are knit together by His great will. So um, I have seen that time and time again. The gospel frees me from having to get everything sewed up, right? Controlled. Um, so we can give grace in relationships. And then we can conduct ourselves. We let our yes be yes and our no no. So the law actually, we can understand that the law um, works for order in addition uh, to demanding perfection. So if if you've made a contract, then gospel our gospel orient um, obligation is to hold through that contract. Well, that contract is sort of a law. What about giving grace when somebody breaks that contract? No, that's what we agreed upon. Our yes is yes and our no is no, and that's fine. But we give grace in relationships and forgive relationships. And so, um, uh, Jesus said, John 15, 5, you know this passage so well, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. And he doesn't mean just at church on Sunday. <laughs> All the time. In every aspect of our lives. And, and I think it's, incredible this picture of abiding in christ is a, a vine and branches you know it's just just an amazing picture uh, and in fact he talks about the the, ba- the branches that are bearing a lot of fruit are, are going to be pruned you know so just because you're having pain in your life doesn't mean you're doing something wrong it might be mean that you're doing something right but um but it's so that they will bear more fruit uh it's an amazing thing and I will say this, this the last, really the last thing I'll say is de- your devotional life is not easy by any stretch. Abiding in Christ, remembering to have that time, praying, um, reading scripture in a systematic way rather than just, you know, that, that's, that's, it's hard. And my job, my job is to have a strong devotional life. And it's hard, you know, there's always an email waiting on your first thing. There's always times where I want more sleep. There's always something that needs to be done, and it's hard. I can tell you what I have been doing lately in the last several, uh, couple of months is, in the mornings, it's dark it's before I get before I stand up. I I hit my knees, and a lot of times I, I mean I'm still kind of in, in dream mode, but I just I find that I am more likely to read devotionally um, the scriptures and maybe some other uh, reflection. Uh, I'm more likely to be prayerful throughout the day. If I start my day that way, um, so that's been helpful to me. There's been seasons in my life where I have a prayer journal and have or have lists of things that I pray on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and I'm not good at holding up those things. Um, but I I have found lately that even if they're the prayers that don't make a lot of sense because I'm sleepy, um, it is a great way to start uh, start my day. It doesn't look like I thought a quiet time should look. But if I can spend five, ten minutes uh, that way, then it sets me right for the rest of the day. Um, I'm going to stop there. Uh, I had really just had one more. And, um, and basically, it's just to say that y'all can do it. You can do it. You're, or, uh, lay people are fit for ministry. And uh, we've talked about that really already. Um, a lot of people think ordained people are the ones that do the ministry. But, man, our job is just to get you ready. And uh, it is exciting to see. But thank you for for blessing me and my family and sending us out. So, uh, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for all that you're doing and have done in our life. Pray for this church that will continue to be a a beacon for the gospel, that you protect Andrew and the rest of the clergy and the staff, but also the lay people, Lord, who are are serving you and loving you and doing all that you've called them to do. Uh, Bless this place and help me, Lord, to uh, take that with me. To Jacksonville, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.